we now hear our Old Testament reading, which comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 12. These are the commands, the decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you in that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hearts and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, Wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. May God's grace and mercy and peace be with us today as we think about what it means to pass on our faith to the next generation. You know, the most widely syndicated cartoon panel in the world is the Family Circus. You've seen it before. It's in over 1,500 newspapers around the world. Uh, Bill Keene first published it in 1960. Since his death, his son has taken over. But the cartoon was meant to resemble uh, their family. The Keens had four children, of course, a mom and a dad, two dogs, and grandparents as well. Well... To refer to a family as a circus, eh, I don't know. Yet when you think about it, it's, it's, it is appropriate. Uh, as I remember the circus, there were usually three rings and then there was a ringmaster and a lot of times there were lions and tigers with a tamer and then there were the clowns and what my favorite was always the, 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 the tightrope walker on the high wire. Well, as I thought about our family, it's kind of like we have three, three rings now. There's my wife and myself, and then we have our three kids and their wives, and now we've got grandchildren. And yes, it seems like there's always times when as a grandparent or a parent, we're walking on the high wire, on the tightrope, trying to keep our balance as to what we should say or what we can't say. <laughs> And then there are always uh, family clowns, someone who thinks that they're really funny, but more often they're more scary than funny. And then we have the lion and tiger tamers, those in the family who just try to keep everyone calm and peaceful, right? The real question becomes, though, who is the ringmaster of the family? Who is, who's in control? Uh, who's the one who, to whom we, we turn? for protection and for safety, 
to lead us and protect us? Who's the one who calls the shots in your family? Well, today we find out again that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the head of our Christian families. It's God's grace that binds us together in harmony so that we reflect the same kind of love that he has first given to us. That we are kind and compassionate to one another as God has been compassionate to us. And by God's grace, uh, we know that one day uh, when our time on this earth ends, we have that sure and certain hope that as families, we're going to be together in heaven. And it's our great desire, isn't it, that our children and our grandchildren are with us as we surround the throne of our Savior and in our praise to him in heaven. And, and sure enough, that's also God's desire for us. We find in our scripture reading today that God has called upon us to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. You know, whenever you talk about family matters, there's always a danger as a pastor that some people are going to feel excluded. So let me challenge all of you. If you are married, you don't have kids, or maybe they're no longer at home, let me tell you, you are still a family. Or if you are a single parent, you are a family. And if you are single, you are not second class. In fact, Scripture celebrates your singleness. And let me tell you, blended families are beautiful. Someone put it this way, blending a family isn't about making everyone the same. It's about mixing two things together to make something new. And when it comes to children, indeed, children are a blessing from God, not a burden. And it's a privilege and a joy for us to pass on the baton so that our children become difference makers for the Lord Jesus Christ in this world of ours. Well, our scripture lesson from Deuteronomy 6 is a challenge to all of us. It doesn't matter what kind of family unit you are in. And as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, we set the scene. Uh, the people of God have been kind of spinning their wheels for 40 years in the wilderness after their exodus from Egypt. And now they're right on the verge of passing into the promised land. The disobedient generation who grumbled and refused to trust in the Lord, they are just about gone. And now the new generation is on the scene. Moses is part of that old generation. He too is unable to go with them into the promised land because of his own disobedience. So here he's talking to families to make sure that the faith that God has given to them is passed on to the next generation. Now notice that here in Deuteronomy 6 we're going to find out he isn't giving them instructions on farming or shepherding or economics or construction or even He's not even giving them instructions for how they are to do battle against those who will be warring against them. No, he's only concerned about the message that God gives to him to make sure that the faith is passed on to the next generation. I'm going to summarize the teaching of Moses from God with five different verbs. The first verb is to learn. Verses 1 and 2, Moses says, These are the commands, the decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, 
so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. God commanded Moses to teach the people his way so that they would learn again who he is and his uh, commands for their lives. The word teach has the the idea of training in order to, to do something. And if the people were going to pass on their faith, they first had to learn the faith themselves. And it's true, the only way that we're going to be able to pass the baton of our faith to the next generation is is if that faith is genuinely part of our hearts and our lives. That we have a personal relationship with the God who made us and the God who redeemed us in his son, Jesus Christ. How can we pass on the gospel if it's not first in our hearts? And so what do we do? We continue to study, we grow, we learn from God's word so that we can pass it on. Secondly, we live. It's not enough just to learn God's word. We're also called then to live it out. Verse 3, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. Now, the word careful, it means to be on guard, to watch diligently or carefully. We hear, but we also then we heed. The next generation is watching us to see if we're really practicing what we say that we believe. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, who you are speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you say. We are blessed to learn, but then we are also blessed by God to be able to live out our faith. Thirdly, then, we are called to love. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this is commonly called in Jewish circles the Shema. It's from the Hebrew word to hear. Or we might say, now listen up. The Shema is a declaration of faith. It's, it's like a pledge of allegiance to Almighty God, the God who is one. It was recited by Jews the first thing when they got up in the morning, and it was always the last thing that they said at night. Now, this verse defines the relationship that God has with his people. The Lord our God. The Lord is Lord alone. Now, notice he is our God. That's a personal pronoun. Because that's the way God is. His love is personal. He is relational to his people. We can enjoy intimacy with him because he loves us. He's made us his own. Verse 5 brings this love even into more perspective. And that is, is that as God has loved us, so our response is to love him back. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus quotes this passage again in the New Testament as well. And that is our response to God's love is to love him back wholeheartedly. And it's a love that is to pervade every aspect because God wants to be exclusive and intensive in his relationship with his people. Here we see that God wants all of us. It's all-inclusive. All our hearts, our souls, our strength. No area is left out. Martin Luther reflects that in his explanation to the first commandment that we are to fear, love, and trust in God above all other things. 
In his book called Raising Kids to Love Jesus, Gary Oliver makes a provocative statement. He says, our primary call is not to be good parents. Our primary call is to model a vibrant and vital love relationship to the living God. I like that. Verse 6 reinforces this truth of our love. When Moses says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Now the people knew that the commandments were originally engraved, remember, on, on tablets of stone. And they were given to Moses at Mount Sinai. But here we see that God wants his holy word to be alive in our hearts. And to be fleshed out and lived in from our hearts. So after living, learning, loving, we are then in the right spot to lead. Verse 7 says concerning God's ways, impress them upon your children. The word translated impress means actually to sharpen. It's the idea of going over with gentle pressure time and time again so as to leave a mark. And we are to impress God's love and his grace and his ways upon our children so it leaves a mark on their minds, on their hearts, on their lives. We teach truth intentionally as we look for, for ways to precisely then pass on what we are learning from God's word. Moses says, talk about them when you sit down. We found that it was often when we sat down in our family meals that we were able to talk about faith with our children and now our grandchildren. It says, impress them upon your children when you walk along the road. Now, some of the best conversations with our children and grandchildren have happened not when we're walking on the road, but when we're riding on the road. You're confined in a vehicle and you're able to talk and listen to your children and grandchildren. And also it says, impress them when you lie down. Boy, that, to me, that's a picture of bedtime. Parents and grandparents, we can't miss these opportunities that when we put our children down for the evening to remind them just how much that you love them, but also how much God loves them. And that we're able to, to read God's word and remind them of his promises. It was just uh, in this past week, we heard the story of, of how pa- last week Pastor Tabor talked about how, how we are to crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. And in the children's message, it talked about how, how, how kids, we, we want to take in God's word like that milk. And we want to grow up to be what God wants us to be. Well, one of our young mothers asked uh, her five-year-old son what what he wanted to read and that he could pick out his own books that night before they went to bed. And he walked over and he picked up his picture Bible. It's, it's, it's getting through. Children, pass on the faith. And we do it as we impress them on our children. As a visible reminder, uh, verses 8 and 9, Moses writes, Tie them on your, as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, many Jews took this literally as they took little boxes and they put scripture passages and they wore them as phylacteries on their foreheads or, or even on their wrists or their hands. And they would place what were called mezuzahs containing scriptures and they would put them on their doors or the door frames of their homes. And here the idea is that God's word is to be so central to your family life that the next generation is always being reminded wherever they go at home of God's love and his mercy. 
Do you have any of those visible reminders in your home of your faith in Christ? And while it may not meet the latest uh, pottery barn fashion catalog, a meaningful cross or a baptismal plaque or banner in your children's room, Christian artwork in your house, these can be meaningful as we think about, again, passing the baton of our faith to the next generation. And, And notice whose responsibility this is. Impress them upon your children. That's directed to parents. Now we in the church, we are here to support you as parents and encourage you and provide resources for you. But we can't take your place. Parents. I also want to just have a quick word to grandparents. You know, the baby boom generation has now become the grandparent boom generation. I've read that there are more grandparents alive today in the United States than ever before, some 70 million. And of those who are 65 or older, 83% say that they have grandchildren. And that number of grandparents just keeps growing and growing. And so as grandparents, we have that opportunity also to be intentional about passing on our faith to the next generation. And it doesn't mean that we lecture at them or preach at them. Oh, here comes grandma and grandpa again. But we are genuinely interested in them. We become part of their lives. And so that when the opportunity comes, we can talk about our Christian faith and what God has done for us in our experiences. In addition, as grandparents, we regularly lift up our grandchildren in prayer. In this world of temptation and sin, we pray that God would guard and preserve that baptismal faith that was given to them. Of the legacy that we grandparents leave behind, more, much more important than money, we leave behind a spiritual legacy whereby our grandchildren know the God who loves them, the Lord Jesus Christ, and holds them so closely in his care. So after learning and living, loving and leading, finally, we launch. In verses 10 and 11, God gives a picture of what it looks like when God launches his children with the faith that has been passed on to them. Talks about how when they arrive in the promised land that they'll have things like flourishing cities and furnished homes and an abundance of food and refreshments. God knows that all these wonderful blessings can cause his children to become complacent, to stray away from their faith. You see, satisfaction can lead to spiritual stagnation. Forgetting can lead to forsaking. And that's why the Lord says in verse 12, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. At one time we were all slaves. By nature, we were all separated from God and we were slaves to Satan and sin. But God saw our greatest need and he gave us his son, Jesus, to be our savior. That whoever believes in him, as our gospel says, will not perish but have everlasting life. And so by his grace, we are set free. That Jesus took our sins upon himself and rose again so that now we have a hope that is eternal. And we want now a smooth and a steady handoff as we pass the baton of our faith onto the next generation. Yes, it's true that families uh, 
can be compared to a three-ring circus. <laughs> Believe me, there is strangeness and weirdness in every family. <laughs> it's because we all sin. We all fall short of what God in His glory expects of us. Yes, and we even have in our family clowns and tightrope walkers and lion and tiger tamers, but there's only one true ringmaster, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us and paid the price for our sins, and the one who never calls us to a task without giving us exactly what we need to accomplish it. And so may God bless all of us as we pass on the baton of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that by His grace there would be a smooth and an effective handoff. Amen? Amen.